So guys, welcome to this conversation between my filmmaker slash photographer friend, Dan Lior. Um, apologies for the noise right now. I'm in a food court in Mumbai, uh, but the rest of the podcast was recorded at my house, so the audio should be good. Um, enjoy. So before we start, everyone, this is Dan Lior, uh, who's coming from my side. He is a really talented filmmaker, photographer, um, animal whisperer, <laughs> and he's a really good friend of mine. <laughs> Dude, how's the city? Um, well, we don't have an apartment yet, so we don't get to enjoy the city so much. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you know, it's New York. What, um, so you haven't found an apartment yet. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, Dan just recently, what was it, like two months ago or something, uh, moved from Israel to New York. More like three weeks, I think. Three weeks, yeah. <laughs> Alright. You good? Like Dub. Alright. I think I'm good. Okay. Sweet. So, um, to kick this off, do you want to just do a quick introduction of what you do and who you are? Yeah. So, as quickly as I can, uh, <laughs> I'm 33 years old. <clears throat> When I was 29, I quit my job, uh, bought a camera, learned everything from YouTube, and started photographing, started filming, did a lot of jobs that, you know, aren't the jobs you really want to do. Uh, but four years later, I'm in a place, uh, in a really good place. I really love what I do. I really enjoy it. it takes me all around the world. Get to meet awesome and interesting people. Go through some crazy experiences. Yeah, kind of where I'm at too. <laughs> Sweet. Um, so yeah, me and Dan met at uh, at Burning Man last year, which was an yeah. interesting time. <laughs> um, but then I went and visited Dan. No, actually, before that, you were in Colorado, right? No, we met after. Like we met in Burning Man for the first time. And then Colorado, and then Israel. And then I stayed with you in Colorado, and then you came to Israel. Yeah, yeah. Dan gave me a food tour of the entire, um, the entire state or country. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in Tel Aviv, yeah. um, where where did you live? You you were outside of Tel Aviv, right? Yeah, I lived in Tel Aviv for a while, and outside of Tel Aviv in my hometown, Hod Sharon. Yeah, yeah. That was Hod Sharon. Um. <laughs> And yeah, like one surprising thing you wouldn't guess about Israel is that we got really good food and yeah, Danny insane food. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I pretty much survived off of just hummus for like the entire ten days I was there. Yeah, I mean now that you're gonna see, don't mess with the Zohan. You're gonna get all that joke that brush <laughs> our teeth. With yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, so you did, you and, and your wife Fallon, you spent five months living out of a car in, in the States, right? Yes. How was that? Did you, how long did it take you to get adjusted to like living out of a car? Because that's like a lot, a lot of people want to do that. You talk to a lot of people, they're like, su it's super interesting to be like, okay, I was just going to live out of my car, be able to drive wherever. What were some of the, like, I, I'm sure it was amazing, but there was also some challenges, I'm sure. What was, what was that kind of like? 
know, it's one of those <coughs> things that you see on Instagram, you see online, you just want to experience it. And um, it's uh, like when you get to that situation, it's, it's, it's so amazing, but there's also a lot of challenges and difficulties behind all that glamour you know like sometimes you finish uh, uh, a eight hour drive and you just want to go to sleep but you have to cook dinner and it's snowing um, and you have to cook outside but um, you know what I got ahead of myself like I went straight to that not so good stuff yeah it was great it was <laughs> um, yeah living in a car it's one of the best experiences of my life. Um, United States is incredible. Each state has its own character. It was, without a doubt, uh, one of the best trips I ever had in my life and definitely with my wife. And uh, I don't know, you just, you meet so many awesome people through traveling you see so many beautiful and incredible places you go through crazy experiences like getting growled by a bear in the middle of the woods or what was it the other shit the, yeah getting the getting stuck on a beach in, oh uh, yeah in night. oregon right yeah. You, what uh, was that story? You like you were trying to you were in Oregon and you parked on the beach and there was a, like a blue tide or something, right? <laughs> With the bacteria and you totally forgot about the car. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> we we wanted to park to sleep on on the beach in Oregon, and um, we drove on the beach. And basically, we got trapped on the beach because high tide came in and we couldn't drive out and the water kept rising and rising and rising. And we basically thought that we're going to wake up with our car getting washed into the ocean. Um, also, I was pretty high because weed is legal in Oregon. So that, that entire situation was really tripping me out. Uh, and on top of all of that all of a sudden like you know like I, I we watch the ocean and the waves are like you would think that the moon is glowing on the waves but you look it up and there's no moons actually it's it's kind of cloudy and it's really bizarre and then i took my camera and i did a load uh, uh, um slow exposure and i look at the camera and the ocean is like the waves are completely blue and it's actually, it's, it was like algae or bacteria or plankton, something glowing bright blue in the ocean. Then we walked on the beach and the entire beach like had, like the sand had sparks of blue in it. So there we were in the beach thinking that we're going to get washed into the ocean and then seeing the ocean like glowing bright blue and on top of that, that being completely high. Um, <laughs> Dude, I've, uh, when I was in, um, I was in, uh, in Puerto Rico, we, uh, me and some friends, we got kayaks and went to like a, a bay. It was like in a mangrove forest. There was this bay that had that like blue bioluminescence. Oh yeah, and, about that. Yeah, dude, it was like the coolest thing ever where you could move your hand and the, and like the whole water just glows. 
and it, blows the air. Like there's so many like crazy experiences to 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 be had and to to go through that you don't really realize. Yeah. Uh, like and all of a sudden you see it in front of your eyes and it's like holy shit did I this just happen you know this is basically the entire Burning Man um, <laughs> but yeah just so many things and it's it's amazing because you can actually only experience those when you travel and when yeah. you, you know you just go out there and those things just happen yeah like travel travel in general just everywhere you go there's things happen that you're like. What what just happened? Like uh, like the bacteria felt like Avatar. It's like you feel like yeah. you're in like a movie or something where you're touching everything and it's like the what? trees are glowing and just like the, yeah, like you said, like the craziest, coolest things that you never would have expected are are actually exist. Just they'll just happen. It's it's crazy. Like um, another time it happened, I was in uh, I was on a sailboat <laughs> with some friends. We were sailing from Saint Vincent to Saint Lucia. And we were, like, 11 people on this sailboat of, like, dude, this sailboat was made for, like, three people or something. It was so small. And we were sailing 18 hours, so it was an overnight journey from St. Vincent to St. Lucia. And, um, like, in the middle of the night, like, it's, you don't think about this when, when you're not, like, uh, when you've never been on a sailboat before. But on a sailboat, like, you're tilted, like, 45 degrees. Yeah. So the whole time, you're, there's there's nowhere that you can sit that's really comfortable because everything is tilted. So I was, like, I was like crammed in a corner or something, and I woke up in the middle of the night, and I look into the water, and the, the whole water is just glowing blue, and there's this big blue trail behind us. And it was just, like, it was horrible conditions, like, 18 hours of being crammed, like, in a corner. But just, like, little things like that is just, like... Looking back, those are what you remember, just like the amazing, crazy things like that. But um, yeah, that blue bacteria is wild. So, I, I, you know, I, I figured out, I didn't figure out, like, I, I heard something really interesting during a road trip. We met, uh, like, a bunch of hikers in Yellowstone that were sleeping on the ground. They were doing some track, um, really hardcore people, probably some of the most hardcore people I ever met. They were they were making like their own trail through Yosemite and Glacier and I don't know, a few parks. Yellowstone and Grand Tetons. Uh, my wife yeah. is like over there fixing. What's up, Alan? Don't ask that. Hey. just a bunch of dudes that, that went out there to create their own trail. They were slipping on the ground, uh, didn't have any clothes on them besides like what they were wearing, like really hardcore people. So we spent the night with them and we were talking and they told us there's three types of fun. Type one fun, type two fun, and type three fun. Am I saying it right? Yeah, all right. So apparently type one fun is like, Holy shit, this is so amazing. I'm having so much fun right now. Yay life, right? Type right. 2 fun is that I'm suffering now, but after it's done, like retrospective, you're looking back and like you can't believe you just went through that experience. It was so amazing. Right. Right? So that was type 2 fun. And type 3 fun, like it's basically not fun at all. Yeah, um, yeah. 
but Dude. I think the best experiences are the ones that are born out of type two fun. You know, the the the, the experiences that like you almost die and then you survive, and then like um, yeah, I'm alive. That was so fucking amazing. I have a, such a great story to tell. You know, I was um, yeah. when I did um, when I did my my project in Africa. Uh, we were selling on the Zambezi. And I'm, I'm really, usually I'm not afraid of things, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm willing to, to, to what others would consider, consider a risk. I would, you know, I'm, I'm calculative, but I'll go over to the extreme a little bit, but sailing over this embassy in Africa, I was terrified because well, I heard a lot of stories of people being eaten alive by crocs and hippos. Um, but I was sitting there and now, you know, you see hippos all over and crocodiles all over. And the, la- the time before I was in Africa, I saw like a canoe just walking into the, the water and like getting snatched by a croc, eaten alive. Holy and I was shit. terrified that it's this tiny boat and I'm sitting on the boat and I'm terrified that because I heard the stories, like, if a hippo rises underneath the boat, you fall on the water, and that's it. Like, there's there's pretty no chance, pretty much no chance that you're getting out of alive. And, well, hippos are the most, they're the most dangerous animal in Africa, right? It's not the lions, not the crocodiles. So, apparently, it's buffalo. Really? Apparently, buffalo is the most risky animals in Africa. Huh. Because... Buffaloes are the only animals that are like really afraid. They attack you because they're afraid. People yeah, yeah. don't just like you're in their territory. So like fuck you. Um, but we were selling the boat and all of a sudden just in front of us, like I'm here and wherever, where you at, right? Wherever the phone is at right now, a hippo comes out of the water and the driver like swirls the boat not to hit it. And from that moment, for about two days, I was I was oh really gosh. really frightened. And then when I knew that I'm not gonna be getting on that boat anymore, I said like, "Wow, this is one of the best experiences I had in my life," you know. But at the yeah. moment, that's a type two fun. Yeah, yeah. I was. I think it was. Um, I think it was like a Joe Rogan podcast or something. He was talking to some dude who had crossed Antarctica. Uh, there's like some debate about it, but yeah, anyways, this dude claimed he had crossed Antarctica on foot and he was talking about that, like type one or type two fun as well, where it's like, it's almost like, I think he compared it to like a roller coaster. Like when you're on a roller coaster, you're like, Oh my God, this is amazing. This is so much fun. And that's that type one fun. But like looking back to like, like think of the last time you were on a roller coaster or something, you like, you look back and you're like, Oh, that was like, that was all right. That was kind of fun. But the type of fun where, like, for example, the first time I went, uh, the first country I ever visited was Iceland. And I had no idea what I was doing. My phone was broken, so I couldn't really look anything up. I showed up alone, like, with my backpack, and I just was hitchhiking and stuff. And um, I ended up meeting this random dude, and we kind of, like, talked each other into doing this huge trek. And... I had like khakis on and a flannel. Like I didn't have any any type of like good equipment or anything. And it was like noon and like all the warnings were like do not do the trek, do not do the trek, do not do the trek. But I was like 18 years old and stupid. Well, I still probably would have done it. But um anyways, we just ended up doing it 
and it was like it ended up being like 20 miles like 33 kilometers or something and we had no idea and it was snowing and raining and like all of that and it was horrible in the moment you're just like oh my god this is the worst thing ever but looking back it's so much fun and it's like exactly. it's it's you it's totally right there's two definitely two distinct types of fun but i think, I think yeah. it's that it has to do something you know like it's it's with everything in life even even like let's say you 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 have this photo you want to take right and it's a photo that you think okay that's going to be a complicated photo to take and you go out there to take that photo and you just get it immediately like, challenge no nothing and you just got this photo so like it feels nice but if you have to work for this photo let's Okay, do you know the firefall in Yosemite? Yeah. All right, so it's, it happens like once a year for like two days where the sun is perfectly in Yosemite. And for a few minutes, the entire waterfall lights up and looks like a waterfall lava. And people make the trip from all around the world to get to that spot just to get that photo and it happens once a year yeah and um actually i have a, I have a friend um isaac gifts is a photographer he, he made this trip uh this year to try and get it but the point is like i think with everything in life if you have to go through things to get what you want it just makes it so much more satisfying yeah and like so, lo that feeling's long lasting as opposed to like right in the moment you're like wow that's awesome but then it kind of fades but if you really put your time and energy into something and, and you like have all this invested into it and it finally happens you're just like it feels so good when you finally finally accomplish it it is yeah hello oh now I see I see there's like comments here yeah hold on oh yeah so if anyone has any questions, line, um, feel free to ask. Uh, what are What are your thoughts on photographers trespassing to get photographs? What are your thoughts on that? What's my thoughts when I need to find this question? Feel so good. Hi, Eden. What's up, Eden? Eden is, like, is my my man bride. Uh, what's your <laughs> thoughts on photographers trespassing to get photographs? Um. Huh. Um, it's a tough question, you know, because like, I, I don't like drama. I don't like getting attention. Um, like, I have some kind of like, I'm, I'm very easily intimidated when it's against authority, like, not, not exact right words, but I, I, I don't like confrontations. Uh, like trespassing to get a photograph for the chance to get yelled at by security guard or some or something is is like just the thought about it makes me feel uneasy, um, and, and I guess this is why I I didn't really done so much of it. But for the right opportunity, uh, I mean. You know, photography is, is uh, I think it's, there's there's a lot to it, also as being as art. Uh, a lot of street artists, graffiti artists, 
they trespass in order to, to you know to to get the work done to get the work made uh, i think with photography it's, it might be also similar uh you have sometimes there's this very specific photograph you want to get and the only way to get it is to break through rules um go for it i mean i i probably maybe wouldn't do it but in general i think yeah you should go for it as long as nobody yeah. really gets hurt yeah i think it's um it's very like case by case because undoubtedly like if if some people for example let's say there's some like crazy photograph of someone walking on top of an arch in Canyonlands or something like yeah. i've seen a bunch of photos like that like there's signs all over that say like don't do it and don't do it. some people do it and post the photo and then from there people will be like oh okay like like it's fine like i saw someone else do it i saw someone else do it i saw someone else do it and so it just kind of compounds and compounds and compounds so um definitely for that like it's it's setting a bad example but in other cases like it doesn't affect things so directly as that um so <laughs> i see ed's comment um, but yeah, I think, I think it's very case by case basis because also on the other side of things, like people sneaking in and taking photographs of different stuff, like whether it's like political stuff, um, kind of like historical stuff has definitely had a positive impact. Um, uh, so it's, it's kind of hard to say like, yes or no, it's, it's very case by yeah. case. <laughs> I mean, also like, you know, pretty much every time we, we, we get a drone in the sky, we breaking some kind of law. Oh, yeah. Every time you fly a drone, it's, like, there's barely any spots that are legal anymore. Yeah. Uh, what time is over there? It's 2 p.m. right now in the States. I love my mom more than Donna, and <laughs> I do not like to get in trouble. That is true. And McGee is also one of my favorite photographers. Oh, thanks, dude. As you are mine. So Dan's film, he just, when did you release um, Zambia? Uh, Zambia was released, I think, like two months ago. Um, yeah. I can check. So Dan's film on Zambia, if you haven't seen it, is like one of the most incredible travel films I've seen. It's seriously amazing. I don't know how you did it alone. Um, well, basically alone. It's, it looks like it was filmed by like a full production team. <laughs> Um, Eden uh, says trespassing shouldn't be done if there's a good reason. Yeah, that's that's like a very case by case thing. If they if you can reason, like say, okay, there's a reason that I shouldn't be in here, that's good and justified, then you definitely shouldn't trespass. Uh, yeah, like a nature reserve is a very very good example because that's screwed up. Um, it is. Yeah. It is, and I'm I'm very guilty at, at doing things that I should have done in nature reserves, even though. I was told I'm allowed. Um, yeah, drones are problematic. There's uh, there's a very recent video of a drone harassing uh, a polar bear and her cub. Hmm. Um, and I think in general, drones and wildlife is just like something that uh, that that should be monitored. I've seen yeah. doing that, um, and um, you know sometimes you do something wrong. You know you do. You know you're doing something that you're not comfortable with, but you keep doing it to get the shot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but in ret retrospective, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, 
not gonna do that again. Yeah. Dude, so my, my view on drones, I, I don't screw around with it with wildlife. Uh, I, I agree with you with that. But as far as, like, cities and places go, like, so right now we're in a time where, yeah, so, and that's what I'm getting to. What are your thoughts on flying drones in places that they're not allowed? So basically right now we're in this, like, kind of transition periods where we had no drones and now all of a sudden we have the craziest drones with the most insane capabilities ever and so from there it's like there's there's no like like governments and organizations haven't really put in place the right laws like they're always changing because they don't really know how to deal with it because it was such a fast explosion so i think in like two or three years you're not even going to be able to take off your drone in a lot of these places like uh paris for example technically drones are drones are illegal there but you can still take it off you just get in trouble if you get caught so right now, I'm like on a mission to fly absolutely everywhere I can and get that footage before you totally can't take off and it's totally just absolutely banned. Uh, just because regulations change like on a day-to-day -day basis. Like sometimes it's legal, sometimes it's not, sometimes it is. So while before while the governments are kind of like scrambling around trying to figure out what they're doing, I'm just like, I'm going to try and get as much footage as I can because in yeah in like in like five years you're not going to be able to fly anywhere without special permits and all this stuff. So I, I don't fly in national parks though. That's one place that I do not fly because it sets a really bad yeah. example. I never fly in national that, parks. <laughs> and also because it's like two thousand dollar fine or something. Five thousand. Five thousand now. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's kind of one of those things you just gotta like <laughs> calculate. It. Is it worth it? Um, I've had I mean, some friends. The chopper is, is, is cheaper. Yeah. And also times when, um, like for example, uh, for fires, there was an issue in Colorado, um, where these, these choppers and planes wanted, needed to get into a fire zone, but someone was flying a drone. So yeah. they, they couldn't get the, they couldn't get the, the people there. They couldn't get the, um, flame retardant there and the fire ended up spreading because some idiot with a drone. Um, so like, if it doesn't hurt anyone, it's again one of those things where it's case by case. Like if it's not hurting anyone directly, I'm fine with flying it in places that it's not allowed. Um, but it's kind of like place by place, um, and it's not just national parks that I don't fly it. Like a lot of places, like um, yeah, I mean in Iceland, there there's no drone signs a lot, and I don't fly there because I know that if someone sees footage from there, it'll set a bad example. So it's like. Uh, yeah, and also you crash a lot of drones. Yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't have good luck in Iceland, dude. <laughs> I think Danny crashed like what was it, five drones? No, I've never crashed any actually. Yeah, you, I remember because <laughs> when you spoke to Eden, you spoke about that. Dude, it always uh, comes up. It's, I have never crashed one while I was controlling. Let's leave it at that. They've all been on their own, or someone, something else that I couldn't control happened. I just actually crashed mine for the first time like a month ago. Really? Yeah. In New York or yeah. Israel? In Israel. I was in the middle of a job, too, and that, so that was a little bit embarrassing. Um, what do you mean? I, yeah, I crashed in Israel. I did a job. I did a wrong maneuver. Flew my drone into uh, uh, someone's balcony and just bounced off and fell down the street. <laughs> uh, I got footage of that. Did, uh, it, did you have DJI care? Or did you get a new one? 
No, I didn't even know about DJI Care. Now that I know about DJI Care, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get the Mavic 2. Yeah. If anyone has a drone or doesn't, hasn't activated it yet, get DJI Care. It's like 150 bucks and you get two new drones a year. um, Fully covered. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, dude. It's like, I think it's 70 bucks every additional drone that you get. But uh, it's so cheap compared to buying a new one. Six drone do magically die, Eden. I didn't crash any of them. <laughs> a bird crashed one. I left one in a car. A boat broke one. And then another one crashed into the sea on its own. I still have I still have Bay Mark 3 and Bay Mark 6. So, <laughs> yeah, that's a reoccurring issue for me, though. <laughs> Dan, so another thing I wanted to um, to talk about was you are pretty much the biggest movie buff that I know. Oh, yeah, I am. So who's your, who are your top three directors and why? Because I love talking about it. It's, I, I was never really into movies as much, and then I got into filmmaking, and like as I watch movies now, I'm like, oh, how did they do that? How did they do that? That's so cool they did that. So... Movies are way more interesting to me now that I'm a filmmaker, um, but you are pretty much the biggest like film nerd that I know. <laughs> yeah. So I I think I think a lot a lot of my work is influenced by cinema. Um, yesterday, for example, I watched with my wife and another friend. We watched Free Solo. And other than the fact that I wanted to see it, I also watched it as part of homework I'm doing for a new project I'm going to do. Uh, I had a, um, Follow the Fox. I'm not sure. Have you met Adam Freeman? Follow the Fox? Just joined us? I don't think I have. Sweet guy. He just, he just filmed um, a video with Bon Wong. They, got, like, they broke the Guinness record. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. It's actually a really cool video I'll send you after. Um, yeah. So, I was sitting down and watched Free Solo, and... Would love to meet soon. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I was constantly stopping the film because uh, uh, to write down ideas, you know? Um, yeah. Cinema has been a huge part of my life. Uh, I love it. I think it's the greatest creative tool. You know, that's hard to say. I think that cinema is just the 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 the, the this generation's tools to tell stories. You know, like the entire entire humanity has been uh, passing knowledge through storytellers uh, in every tribe throughout the t- uh, humanity. Uh, every yeah. single tribe that, that the biggest similarity is that there were always the same roles in different tribes. There was the chief, there were the warriors, but then there were the elders, the storytellers, the people that their role in life would be to pass information from a generation to generation. And I think that cinema is as, as storytelling has changed into cinema, it's the greatest tool to able to tell a story whether it's fiction or real uh, and it's also the greatest tool to be able to pass ideas um, and create changes yeah uh, I mean that that 
Jordan Spurlock, Morgan Spurlock movie uh, um, about McDonald's. Did I say it right? McDonald's? McDonald's? Which movie? Mc the one where... Um, hold on. Let me look it up. Morgan. McCandles? Uh, here we go. Yeah, the movie was called Super Size Me. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so like crazy movie yeah like movies have such tremendous force to cause changes and I completely sidetracked from your questions which are my favorite directors uh, any movies you recommend for me to watch so yeah I'm gonna tell you right after my no, answer keep, keep going question. with your thoughts though yeah um, <laughs> so directors uh, it changes You know, I don't have a very specific director that I love because all directors have the hit and misses. Um, I do have a lot of them that I really do like. Um, and some of them completely... Some directors I really, really like and then a movie comes out. I just uh, spoke to Adam Freeman with it. There's a director called Ryan Johnson that I love. I absolutely love him. Uh, he made a movie called Looper and a few other bunch that I, uh, I yeah. was like absolutely in love with. Uh, Looper, Brick, um, just great movies. And then he made The Last Star Wars. It was a horrible movie. But um, yeah, directors that I do love. So um, what's his name? Um So Alejandro Gonzalez, um, Alfonso Caron, those are two directors that I really, really like. Currently, my favorite creator right now uh, is, um, he was an actor in Sons of Anarchy and he turned into a filmmaker. His name is Taylor Sheridan. He directed a movie called Wind River, which is, someone asked me, <laughs> yeah, me and Adam had a long discussion whether the last Star Wars was good or not. Uh, so McDonald Trump. <laughs> Dude, Corey, say McDonald's. Any movies you recommend? So yeah, Wind Ranger by Taylor <laughs> Sheridan, which is currently one of my favorite creators. He also did Sicario. If you saw Ooh, it, that was good. Yeah, so Wind River is probably one of the top 10 movies I've seen in recent year. It's a great movie, great storytelling. Just really powerful film. Really great, really good cinema too. I make a bro. You like, uh, you like Danny Boyd as well, as well right? He's, he's one of my favorite directors. Um, yeah. Yeah. I actually just watched Train Spotting, dude. It was uh, the first time I saw it like two weeks ago. It's so first good. First time? What? First time. Yeah, yeah, dude, I, I started watching it with my parents. Um, they, they just happened to be in the room, and then, like, five minutes in, they were like, yeah, we can't do this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's, like, shooting up heroin. And I, but I really love Danny Boyd because he's so real about everything. Like, he doesn't, there's no BS. He just gets right to the point. Like, it's, he doesn't follow any typical, like, character arc or anything. It's, like, he just does what he wants. And um, also yeah. the, the filmmaking style as well, like, They'll have cameras set on the floor, like at a tilted angle, just in weird spots in the room, and it's really unique. 
Ender's so, Game? I, d I haven't seen Ender's Game. I, I, I didn't see that, too. I didn't see that, too. I'm sorry. Have to write that um, down. David Fincher is a great director. Yo, Phil. Uh, What's up, Fincher dude? David Fincher is a great director. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's just... There's a lot. So if there was one movie that you would recommend anyone Wind to River. watch right now, Wind River? Yeah, definitely Wind River. Okay. Dude. Yesterday I watched Free Solo and it was really good. So, you know, if, if you saw Wind River and you haven't seen Free Solo, then watch Free Solo. Free Solo is insane. I watched it for the second time a couple nights ago and still, like, like you... you you know he's alive because you've seen him in interviews yeah. and stuff, but still but the whole like, movie oh you're like, god. oh my god. Yeah. What's written on the cardboard stuff of Danny? Oh, you're talking about this? That is my, um, I recently just started keeping track of like, flights that I've done. So that is my flight log. Um, this was starting in like 2015 and then all the way till today um the, just in january i got back from a trip to asia um got a lot of room to fill in but yeah i'm a pretty good artist <laughs> yeah, it's good. a bus <laughs> where's birdie man um somewhere recent uh it should be before medellin the cla yeah. Yeah, Barcelona, LA, Sacramento, Denver. Yep, got a lot of room to go though. Burning Man Burning 19. 2019, there's Mika. <laughs> Dude, I also hate being the Burning Man guy who's always like, you <laughs> met a Burning Man. We had so much fun at Burning yeah. Man. So, um, Danny. I'm not gonna go into a lot of details about what happened in Burning Man. Uh, <laughs> Let's just not get into it. It's something you need to to reserve for actually going. Yeah. It's like yeah, uh, that, something that you gotta experience. First Burning Man last year, and I think he's going to go to every single Burning Man since. So we're going this year as well. <laughs> yep. And we have an RV this time, coming back and on we have an style. RV. <laughs> um. So yeah. what's the next project? For me? Yeah. Um, actually, what day is it? Saturday? On uh, on Monday, I'm headed to Mumbai for six days. Me and my uh, me and my friend are working on like a, a short documentary there. Um, have you been? You've been to India, right? I've been to India for during 2015. I did uh, behind the scenes for a photographer called Ashul Svidensky. For a project they did there, uh, yeah, India is is just another world. Yeah, yeah, dude, I've I'm like, um, <laughs> we're we're doing a, a documentary on like the wealth gap, and I've been reading into it, and it's it's crazy. Like, it's one of the, I think it's the twelfth richest city in the world. Like like even more so than Paris and cities like that. But it also has half the population below the poverty gap. So, like, 6.5 million people live in poverty there. And yeah. at the same time, there's, like, the richest people in the world there. Like, huge apartments overlooking just slums, which is which is really crazy. But that's kind of, like, the reason we wanted to do it, uh, the little documentary there, is because that's, like, a very good representation 
of like how the rest of the world is going. Like it's you can actually see it there. You can physically see like huge nice ass apartments right next to to like tarps. So yeah, that's why we did it there. What about it's, you? Um, it's uh, moving a little bit, so we have more light on me. Damn, um, you look good. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Man, that, that's... I mean, uh, wait, is that, is that a documentary you said? Yeah, like a short documentary. Just like seven to ten minutes or so. Yeah. And you just did also the one in Costa Rica. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so it'll be similar to that one. Um, it's not for anyone. It's just like me and Kevin happened to be in Asia at the time. So we were like, we should just go do this. Like, we're, we're super close. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're doing uh, Mumbai for six days. And then Indonesia, we're running a big influencer trip. Um, in Bali, so really looking forward to that. Hold on, there's a really good question from Mika. Tell us about the process of the script for a documentary. Uh, I'll be like completely honest and say that uh, I'm 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 in a learning phase. I haven't done much documentary, and uh, it's it's just something that you do. You fuck up, and then you understand how not to fuck up the next time. Um, my next project is taking place in Norway. I'm flying in two weeks to do it. It's a short documentary, but it's mostly, um, so I call it doc of feel cause it's, it's happening for real. What you're going to see on the camera. So that's documentary aspect, but yeah. their story is written in kind of a narrative way. Uh, and basically we're going to film, I don't want to say exactly what it is we're going to do because that was only Daniel. Yeah, I'm telling. Um, oh, okay. So we'll talk about this in basic. Um, okay. So Zambia film, um, quick story about how I got it. I did a video for a travel company called Safari company. I did them a video in Tanzania. Uh, they called me for the, to the office to hear my ideas about the video. And a lot of the references, a lot of the ideas I get, I get from references from film or music. And I had this idea. There's a movie called Legends of the Fall uh, with Brad Pitt that came out in 1994. And the movie starts with an old... African, uh, an old uh, uh, Native American chief telling the story of the family. And you hear his voice and you see the exposition, you see the nature, you see like a very old person talk. And I told my client like, hey, let's, let's do this. Let, let's take some elder and let him tell the story of Zambia. And they go, okay, great, amazing, let's do this. And I asked them, where are we flying? And they said, like, next week. And I said, no way. Uh, like, we have to write it. We have to pre-produce it. There's a lot of work to go that goes into it. So I told them, like, yo, let's go and do the Tanzania video that you want me to do. And if I get, uh, if, if you're going to give me full creative power over 
the Zambia project, I'll do it for free, which is, by the way, uh, a really good uh, way to create your own stuff if you want to do passion projects or personal projects and you want to get the funding for it. Obviously, you have to have a few things in the, you know, that you've done to be able to prove that you can do it. Um, and I told them I'll do it for free if I can do whatever I want. And they said, fine. So I got approval for the idea. And basically, the way we wrote about it, I knew that I'm going to travel all over Zambia for 10 days. I knew what I'm going to see. I knew that I'm going to see Victoria Falls, and I'm going to see the ceremony I filmed, and I'm going to see uh, wildlife, and I'm going to see villages. And so I've done a lot of research with a screenwriter called Kylie and I. We sat down and we've done a lot of research and we read a lot about Zambia and Zambia folklore and about their beliefs. And through that, we basically wrote a script that portrays the country and its, its, its essence. And uh, when we got to Zambia, our first day was dedicated to finding the person that was going to play the old man. And we were extremely lucky to find him. He was the first person we found. We just gave him the script in New English. We gave him the script. He read it. And I immediately looked at the, the producer and said, like, this, this is our guy. Like, we're going to take him. You got so lucky with that. He's like, like African David Attenborough. His voice is so good. <laughs> yeah, he's like the Morgan, Morgan Freeman of Zambia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, dude, that, um, so you came up with the, with the script before you filmed everything. Yes, I, uh, Kylie, Kylie wrote it, uh, me and her did the research, and you know, it's like a back and forth thing, like, she would yeah. write it, up until that moment, I wrote all the scripts myself, um, and, um, at that, at that, at that moment for that film, I knew I needed something like way more poetic. I'm not extremely okay. poetic, so I brought Kylie along, and it's like a very back and forth thing. You write, a, you, like as filmmakers, we know the emotion we want to get out of the viewer. You know, I think this is something very important. Each filmmaker works differently. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did the way I, the way I go about it is. I want to make something that would make me emotional, that would make me cry, that would make me feel something. Because I know that if it makes me feel something, it would make other people see, feel something. Yeah. I have a very low, um, very low excitement level, and I get ex and, and when I get excited, I know like so many other people's would get much more excited than I am. So I always aim to make myself feel extremely emotional when I create a film or scenes. And I think that because today the, 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 it's so easy to create, you know, like... Yeah, it is. Gear costs are so low. You can learn everything from the internet. So we got so many incredible films that people are making visually like yeah. incredible visually but because there's so much of them and people are just like going out to create things there's a lack of emotion in a lot of those things and i think as a creator this is a great chance for us as filmmakers and creators uh 
to, to, to get right into this gap and yeah. connect people to our work through emotion. Yeah, and to, I think uh, s- storytelling is, is one of those things that like, like when I first got into making videos, I like honestly, I just wanted to go out and film cool things and do like a, like a B-roll highlight, like waterfall, backflip, sunset, time lapse. And as I got more into it, it's just, it's just like, as you see more and more of that, it's, it doesn't, I, I mean, it doesn't, it's not like it's, it's getting worse and worse. It's actually getting better and better, but you, yeah. I just find a hard time connecting more with it just because it's like, it's kind of the same thing over and over again. It doesn't go deeper. It doesn't like tell any type of a story or anything. It's just, it's just like visuals, but to go deeper than that and to go below that level is, is you can actually really connect with someone. Uh, exactly. so yeah, with my films, it's like now, um, I, I rarely put out something that's just like visuals. I always try and connect it back to at least some idea or some story or something. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I, mean, I the, think more people should do that. About, um, the edit you just made about, uh, plastic. Oh Yeah. Yeah, so that was um, that was originally just a, a drone reel. Like I was like, I'm just gonna put all my drone footage together, and then I put it together, and I was like, this just doesn't feel right. Like I feel like this is a good opportunity to to do something deeper, and so yeah, I put that together. Sorry, I kind of interrupted you a second ago. No, yeah, I mean, I think this is it. I think um, that this is. You know, it's, right now it's easy, again, it's easy to create, it's easy to film and, and edit. Um, it's just something that because it's so easy, it's so accessible. And yeah. we can make, like people, a, a person can just take out the camera and create something that is visually amazing. Yeah, and it's it's so cheap. Like a cell phone, like a, a cell phone can take the craziest videos nowadays. Slow motion, um, like you can film at night, you can film 4K. It's it's crazy what you can do with a cell phone, and um, it's anyone can like most people have a cell phone. Um, so yeah. anyone can be a filmmaker. Anyone can tell a story if they want. And uh, yeah. So to do some questions real quick, um, do you have a favorite dystopian type movie? Definitely Mad Max. I love Mad Max. It's such yeah. a good movie. Um, Mad Max Fury Road is sick. It really is. It's, it's a it's a masterpiece. It's really to think about an action movie being like really great cinema. Thanks, Ed. Yeah. It's a really good. I, I just like just four days ago, I sat down and I watched a few scenes of it. Every now and then, I like to go into YouTube and watch scenes I really like from movies. Um, the character with the guitar, the guitar player, is probably the most badass character in cinema. Yeah, dude. And there's no point to him. Like, in the movie, you're like, what is happening right now? But you just don't care because it's so awesome, you know? Um, so real quick, Mika, I just started, um, I just started vlogging, but not like, not, uh, not like, I'm not like a daily vlogger or anything. Um, I just made a video on my YouTube where I kind of announced that I'm just going to be randomly posting up vlogs from time to time, like super low key informal stuff. 
Um, not like crazy edits or anything, just like basically little memories and moments that I take um, when I'm with my friends. So if you want to do that, um, I, I think if you look up my YouTube, just Danny McGee. Um, but go into, um, you can go into what you were just saying. Uh, how do you find projects around the world, please? Um, so. For me, the answer to that is uh, a lot of times I just make them. Um, a lot of times uh, I'll reach out to, to companies and, for example, I'll say like, I'll just be like, I'll be like, yo, I'm planning this trip to um, the thing of a random place. Say I'm planning this trip to Iceland. Um, even if I'm not actually planning a trip to Iceland, I'll tell the brand, I'll be like, yo, I'm planning this trip to Iceland and I'm looking for sponsors for it. And I don't actually go on the trip until I get sponsors for it. Um, and then I can just be like, okay, now I have sponsors, now I can do the trip. And then another way I do that is just I plan my own trips. And then, um, like, for example, I, I, went, I wanted to go to Cuba last February. And so I, I planned the trip and everything. And then once I had the trip planned, then I went out to companies and I said, hey, um, I'm going to Cuba. These are This is the itinerary. This is what we're going to be creating. Uh, are you interested in sponsoring it? So I kind of am able to, a lot of times, just pick and choose the destinations. Um, once in a while, I have trips that like be like, yo, we'll fly you out to so-and-so to film a project. But most of the time, it's just like personal places that I'd like to go. And since I'm freelance and work for different companies, I can kind of film wherever. Um, I don't know about so you. So it's Dan. also it's important to say that you need to have like a track record. Yeah. To be able to to get those. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we're gonna the Instagram live limits is only an hour. We're at like fifty five minutes right now. So um, we can either wrap it up in five minutes, which I don't think we're going to, or we can end the live and start again and keep recording. We are back. Sweet. Can you hear me? Um, so yeah, let's, uh, I'm, I'm going to repeat what Mika asked. And yeah. if anyone has any questions, it's better if you guys write it and uh, we'll get to them. Uh, Mika asked how we find projects around the world. The way I find projects, uh, can you, the way I find projects, it's, uh, you know, so in the beginning, I really had to go and look out for projects. Hold on, I'm going to go, there's someone who came into the office, I'm going to go into a side office, not to interfere. So the way about me to find projects right now, um, So first of all, regarding passion projects, I have a list. I make a list. I have 10 passion projects written at a time. I will never have over 10 projects at a time, and that's because... How's the sound quality here? Is that good? Yeah, yeah, that's good. I'm going to run get a drink of water, but keep talking. All right, so I'll answer the question in the meantime. So I got a list of 10 passion projects I want to do, and every time a new passion project comes in, I'll delete one of the other projects in the list just not to make myself accustomed into writing down ideas and never execute them. And the way I find projects is 
in the past, I, I, I really, you know, would have taken opportunities that came, but now I can um, allow myself to be more picky and choosy about the ideas that I want, and I can explain what's project, passion project first. All right, uh, passion project is something that you do because you want to do it. It's a film, it's a picture series, it's, it's whatever kind of creation that you do for yourself. And I always think that whatever it is that we're doing for ourselves is going to be much better than anything that we are going to do for a client, uh, for someone else, uh, because as creators, our standards are so much higher than the tools we are given. And I think that passion project is also the best way to advance ourselves as creators because we have no limits. No one is limiting us but by what we can or cannot do. Yeah. And today the way I find passion project is I can um, you know I can hear about something that is interesting to me and I'll go and pursue it and, and make a project out of it. I'm doing something in late May because uh, I heard someone told me about this this story that I heard about. And ever since, I've been working to create uh, this project that I'd rather not reveal right now. Uh, the project I'm flying to do in Norway in two weeks, someone came to me and told me, I like your stuff. I have this project that I want to do and I want you to join along. Um, and eventually said like, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, then you can do whatever you want. Um, and I wrote a story. I made this project into my own and I went for it. We find pro passion project is, th th that's the thing. Passion project should be something that is 100% interesting to you. Yeah. If you're not going to be some, doing something that, like, if you're going to do something that you feel, oh, this is something that people would love, it's not going to be as good. You would yeah. much rather do something that no one watches and starts, yeah. and it's, it will be so much better than, better than doing something that you think other people would love, but you're not interested in. Because... As, as, as a cur uh, like creators are being are, are like you you can see who a person is through the work he does and if, if the, the, a person is not emerged and not bound to the project he does you can you can see it in his work another um, kind of good thing to go over is how um, like I know when I first started it would be very interesting to me back then to hear this is like how do you originally find these projects um and you kind of just like projects when you're first starting they don't come to you like you can't just post photos on instagram and expect all these companies to come to you and be like yo can you make this film for me can you make this film for me you have to like you have to make those opportunities happen the opportunities don't come to you so like for example when i first started I went to Asia and I was planning on just spending as much time as possible there, just putting out as many videos as possible in the niche that I wanted to do, which was like travel videography. So I, I, I just went there and I just made as many things as possible. And 
then people could see that and be like, oh, okay, maybe we want this guy, we want to hire this guy for this. Um, Chris Bricard, I was listening to him on a podcast, uh, this is like five or six months ago, and he was saying how, like, he wanted to get into car photography, like, he wanted to do, like, uh, these Jeeps in Iceland, he wanted to, to start doing that type of photography, and he was like, there's this weird misconception that, like, you can just do that, like, people will just come to you and say, like, okay, you've, 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 you can do landscape stuff, like, we're gonna hire you for car jobs, and that just doesn't happen, like, he, yeah. he said, he was like, dude, so what I did was I flew to Iceland, I rented a Land Rover Defender, and I went out and I made all this content and I put myself into the ring for car photography. Like, he wanted to do it, so he went out and made it happen. It wasn't like someone saw his other stuff and was like, yo, can you do photography, car photography as well? Like, he had to make that opportunity for himself. And it's it's just something you have to, like, go out and actively pursue. Yeah, um, I mean, that's... That's the, that's 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 a really huge thing with with uh, video uh, like filmmakers and photographers, especially in the era of Instagram right now. People want to be famous rather than wanting their work to be published. Yeah. Um, wait, Adam had a very big question. Which do you find more challenging to finish a passion project that you're in charge of or a work project that you're not happy with? Uh, if I have a passion project I'm working on and I have full control of it, I will finish it super fast because I have the vision in my head. Um, and I, but I will not finish it until I'm 100% happy with it. Uh, a client, I will try to finish it as fast as possible. Also considering that the client will be happy with the final result. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, obviously, I don't want to do jobs. I don't want to do is, is, is uh, you know, it's it's whatever I make, I put it out to be able to create a passion project because the idea is that just like what you said about Chris Picard, if you want to do something, eventually you have to, to go out and do it. If I want to be a yeah. filmmaker and tell stories around the world, I have to go out and create films around the world and do a few films where I don't gain anything and I actually have to put money money into making those to be able to make my income from future jobs like this. Yeah. Which I just closed uh, my first one uh, not too long ago. So that's, yeah. And sometimes you, um, like, there's this, like, stigma of working for free, but... Like to make to give yourself those opportunities, you have to just go out and make them for yourself. Like, you, you have to go out and make a bunch of films. Not it doesn't even have to be a bunch. Um, it can be two or three really solid films in whatever area that you really want to get jobs in. You have to go out and fund those yourself, um, and then yeah. from there you're able to get jobs, um, and you have those to send send out to people. What's up, Andy? Um, I had a lot of people that. A lot of friends, photographer friends, that were really annoyed when they heard that I took projects for free. Some of them said it's like, it's, it's, it's extremely, um, you know, it's not respectful to the, to the job even. Uh, but what they don't get is that sometimes the only way to get through the door and be able to go and, you know, 
get the things that you want to do, you have to do them cheap or for free. Yeah, and, and it's I'm not even like, um, it's not even like you're so like free is a very relative word like you're definitely getting something like it might not be a form of money but you're getting this experience you're getting this um this kind of just like these skills that you learn in the project so you're getting something i would say if if you're working for free like there's absolutely no benefit for you at all never do it but a lot of times in these situations what you're getting is experience working you're getting a product to send to other people. You're getting a name that you can put on your resume. It's never free. It's a, it's just like a different form of payment. Um, and when you're just starting, you have to you have to do those because um, no one's gonna see like like I can't just tell someone. I can't be like, yo, dude, I'm gonna make you like a Hollywood cinema quality movie. I don't have any work right now, but I, like just trust me on this, dude. It's like like you can't do that. So you have to. You have to, um, but you have to go out and do it. don't ever, 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 ever do something just for credit. Yeah. That's the only thing. <laughs> um, Mika said, how do you You should always get something out of, out of creating. So if, if it's for free, you should always be getting something. For example, yeah. if, if you're going to get an experience that you never gotten before, like using equipment that you never got before, Working in a place you've never got those are experiences that the, the projects I'm doing right now the only way that I'm able to handle those projects production wise is because all those free jobs that I've done over the years like that the, yeah. that upcoming job in Norway there's so much going into the production of it that if I wouldn't do all those free jobs we shouldn't call it free job let's call it education trade. Or like trade, trade, trade jobs. jobs. If I wouldn't do those <laughs> trading jobs, uh, I wouldn't be able to handle it. I wouldn't yeah. be able to know all the things that I know today. Yeah, and you're learning a ton. You're always learning and, and learning new things. Uh, Mika asked about how do you explain how do you put prices on your projects. That's such a hard thing because um, like as an artist, pricing your art might be the hardest thing you can do. Like. It sucks because you're putting a price on. It's almost like a like a small child. Like like it's like some some projects that you're really into. So you feel like it's your it's your child, and you're like making it grow and like sending it off in different directions. And um, it's a really hard question, but a lot of times I just have like I have a set X amount rate, which um, like a, like a weekly rate. Like if this is gonna take me one week, this is how much the shooting's gonna be. Um, and then in your, in my head, I estimate how long the editing is going to be. And I have a daily rate for editing. Um, and then you kind of just combine all those different things together. Um, it, it takes a long time though. Like, and, and it's not always the same. Like some companies are willing to just spend a bunch of money. So you kind of just like read them and see where their budget is. And some companies you send like three times as high of a price as another one, um, for the same job, just because you know, they have that budget. And that gives you the ability to spend even more time during the project because of the higher budget. Um, so yeah. it's it's really hard to put a price on it. But um, you, you, the more you do it, you just kind of like learn to do it. So the way I budget mine is um, just this. You know, just this year I realized first off, jobs that I don't want to do. If I get offers and there's a job I don't want to do. I would always ask for a ridiculous price. 
and yeah. you'd be surprised how many companies say like, okay, and it's such high price. You go like, yeah, all right, I'm, I'm going to do this job. And I'm going to do an awesome job. Like no matter how much I'm getting paid, if I'm getting low paid or high paid, I'm going to do the exact same work that I always do. Um, yeah. So that's a, that's a really good way to, to, to get a price for a job that you don't want to do. But regularly how I would do my jobs, um, if it's, a, if it's a job I'll want, I'll consider everything there's into this job and I'll try and figure out what's the least amount of payment I'm willing to take to do this job and what's the highest uh, amount that is respectful to ask for this job. And I'll just find a figure somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Well, usually it's going to be a little bit uh, high and then you know they always try to take you down a little bit yeah um, and yeah i mean and uh, by now i can I, I i my price range has taken is quite up like i raised my prices but for some jobs like i just i i'm supposed to close a job for a job i really want to do and i know that the price i'm going to get for it is extremely underpaid but I'm going to take this job because I worked for so long to be able to get income out of those jobs. Yeah. And uh, some so jobs you just absolutely love. Like they're, they're just perfect fits. So you're like, so you're like, whatever, like, I don't really care what I'm paid. Like, I really just want to make this happen. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's hard to price it. But the other thing is like, don't undersell yourself. Like I know some people who I, I see on Instagram posting videos and stuff and I'm like, yo, like you are way, way better than me. Like I'm not afraid to admit it, but they don't know the value of their work. Like typically even like 10 years ago, dude, if someone wanted a commercial filmed for their product or service or whatever, they needed to one, hire a production team, fly everyone out. They needed to have the content produced. They then needed to get an advertising team to advertise the stuff and they needed to spend all this money on that. But nowadays it's kind of like a, like a one-stop shop where you, you get one person like, dude, your, uh, your Zambia films, like that looked like it, it took like a full team of people, like two weeks to film, but it was just you and you did all the editing and you did everything. Um, uh, so it's people, um, people kind of just don't know their worth right now. I think it'll slowly as social media, like is here for longer, people will get it. But a lot of people don't know their worth right now. And, uh. Yeah, it's 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 hurting them. That, yeah, that's what we spoke about. Yeah, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, that's what we spoke about like uh, uh, ten minutes ago or twenty minutes ago. Yeah. Right now, for creators, is extreme. Is the best time, but also it's extremely important to get yourself out there because because the saturation of the content right now. There's so much of it. Like, sto story is what matters. Yeah. And you need to, like, I, I recognize that, and everybody should recognize right now that if you're going to go out there and you're going to create a film about New York City or this skater guy or this thing, it's just another film out of a series of a lot of other very visual, beautiful films out there. Yeah. Um, and you, you need to bring the added value of the story. There's an Israeli creator 
called Moran Modi. And everybody should watch this film. He made a film called Lessons from India. And he, he, he did a down. travel film. You're writing it down? Yeah. Oh, dude, it's such a great film. So the kid is like 21 years old. And he's, he's phenomenal. I mean, I sat down and I saw that film and I was like, you know, oh, wait, really dude, like, you showed me this. Yeah. You showed me this. Yeah. I d he's the really young kid. Yeah. So oh, he, he yeah, just, yeah. Yeah, he just brought a new one called Lessons from Sri Lanka. I didn't see it yet. I, I'm like, I'm putting myself like, I'm waiting. <laughs> I don't want to see it. I want to see it, but I don't want to see it because I know I'll just feel bad. Like, this kid is so young. <laughs> and his storytelling is like phenomenal. I'm sitting there and watching it. I go like, oh my God, he's so good. And he just started. Yeah, the storytelling is what sets you apart. There, especially nowadays, there's so many people that can go out with a, they can buy a Canon 1DX Mark II, go out and make the most visually epic freaking video you've ever seen, uh, with all these crazy visuals and shots and everything. But like, there's only a certain point where you where you can do that, and you can only connect to someone at a certain point with visuals. So it's like the next step is storytelling. That's the camera that I uh, just upgraded from. Yeah. He's, dude, everybody should watch these films because the storytelling and the editing and the pacing, everything was just like spot on. I'm, I'm, I spoke to him a lot of times. Um, this, this dude is flying to Rome to present his film in, uh, in the film festival, Prisma, which is a big film festival. Um, everybody that is creating something should create something with a meaning now. Creating something nice, that's the bottom line. Creating something nice is not going to cut it within a few years because everybody's creating beautiful stuff. But mm -hmm. beautiful is not good. Like, it is good, it's, but it's not going to last, you know? Yeah. And it's, you just can't, you can't connect with someone um, to a certain net level with just visuals. Exactly. Um, and not everyone actually can tell stories. Like, it's actually really hard. Like, um, like building a storyline and, and conveying an idea that you have in your brain to, to somehow come out and get inside someone else's brain is, is very, very difficult. And um, I, kind of back to the point where we were talking about how we do scripts is like, usually for yeah. videos, I like to, uh, unless it's like, like for Puerto Rico, I had a rough outline of the script that I wanted to do and the clips I wanted to film, but typically when I film stuff, I, I like to go out and film it and let almost let the story film it, uh, tell itself. It's like, I want to see what, what I film, like without any expectations, because I don't, I don't really like to force the film. Like I'd, uh, I need this shot, need this shot, need this shot. Sometimes I have to for, for different videos, but, um, if it's up to me, I usually like to just go out and film the video. Like, uh, like in Mumbai, we're going to do a lot of this where we just go out and film the video and we're kind of just going to let the story tell itself, like see what happens, see what clips we got, see what people we meet and what they stories they have to share and um, kind of go from there. And it's hard though. Like storytelling is, is really, it's a really, really is an art. approach to it in 
those kind of films is that you have to give yourself some kind of starting line, some kind of guide, yeah. guideline to go through with. Like, I get what you're saying about making the storytelling itself. It's a really good approach. It's it's going to, it's great to, I just, um, I just, uh, so every, every day now I'm sitting in front of the computer, every day now I'm doing, I'm reading about one cinematographer that I like. Um, and right now, uh, that's like, if, if you want to advance and if you want to get better, you have to like constantly learn about things, not only, uh, um, also like theoretically. And there's a, a filmmaker called John Dickens. And I just read something really interesting. He said, I'm going to actually going to have to go to the computer and find it because it's so on point to this. Um, I'll try and remember it from memory. He said, like, it's extremely important to come with an idea and still yeah. remain open-minded. When you're going to tell a story, um, it, you know, a story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And especially when you go and do documentary, you don't want to write something that is, you know, kind of defies the point of a documentary film. Yeah. It's but, like getting the skeleton and then from exactly. there you can so build the... I think a really good thing is to, you know, is to find some kind of guideline to follow. So, for example, the, the film I'm going to do in Norway, um, one of the ways for me to write scripts, by the way, I'm not ashamed to, to say it, I... I basically I wait for the right time to smoke weed and then it just pops into my brain. Uh, the, how I know the right time is is when I feel inspired by a song or a movie or a scene or whatever. And the way that I wrote the script for the upcoming film in Norway, it's called Pathfinder, I saw a film called Human. On YouTube, I'm gonna write it down. Have you seen it? Uh, no, not yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. yeah. But that's all. That's funny because I actually have like quite a few uh, friends who are creators who literally just smoke like an absurd amount of weed, and um, and that's how they come up with ideas. Me, I don't smoke a lot, not, but, but like I, I know people I, who I do. I use it for work. Yeah. It's, you know, it's still frowned upon in some places around the world. If I would say, like, I drink five beers and then I can write, you know, no one would say anything. They would just be surprised how I can write after five beers. Yo, I'm actually um, get like, a lot of my inspired ideas come when I'm after I've been drinking a bit. Even just a few yeah. beers. Like, I, I get super pumped up about things and I'm able to write. Um, yeah. It's, it's weird I, how I that can works. I like, two drinks and I'm down. I'm, I'm horrible. <laughs> yeah, you're a lightweight. <laughs> Uh, but I, I saw I saw I saw human on YouTube. A friend of mine showed me a scene, and I saw human, and all of a sudden, like this huge urge, like came over me. I got like you know, okay. So the, the Norway project was brought to me, and they said like, listen, we want to fly in Norway and film something, the thing that we're going to do. And you know, like okay, I got a film. What's the story? Like, what am I, like, 
I like you know you said to each his own. I mean, if you're flying to Mumbai and you're gonna let the story create itself, well, we have like a skeleton, like a so exactly like I have something, but how can I make it interesting? And I'm seeing I saw human with a friend. It was 11 p.m. and I I I like at one o'clock. Like I said, guys, I have to go home. Like I have to get home because I. I need to write. I got an idea. I got all smoke weed. I sat down until 6 a.m. in the morning and I wrote the entire script, including all the references, all the music, all the creative brief. With, I, like, I was just like on a bench of creativity. There's no way I can and, do that. Yeah, and actually now I'm, 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 so I'm trying to get the rights for the music that inspired me to write the script and the band is called Foria and they're giving me a really hard time <laughs> like giving me I've been, I've been contacting every day from the UK and I've been contacting every single band member <laughs> on Instagram yeah and uh, <laughs> I'm still working on it yeah yeah sometimes that works though dude music is a music for videos is a big thing too I, I get a lot of inspiration from music like I, I, I want, I'll have a bunch of footage for like six months that I just won't even want to edit. And, um, and then I'll hear a song and be like, damn, like, that's it. That's it. That's what I got to use. Um, yeah. Yo, so yeah. what is your top travel destination? Like the, the one spot in the world that you're like, if, if money was no object or logistics were no object, you could go one spot. Yeah. Mostly because I probably can't go. One of my friends went. Uh, he went backpacking in Afghanistan. Um, I think in the eastern parts. He, he did like some mountain trek. Um, yeah. It's just, I, I think it's. Uh, I think you can. You know. Hold on. How do I get back? To, I can't see. That's a nice looking foot, dude. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out, like, I did something. Hold on. How did I get rid of my keyboard? Um, it's a good-looking window cell, though. I think my keyboard is stuck. You should be able to flip the camera around. Um, but Afghanistan, like, like, what part of Afghanistan? Would you want to like the cities or the mountains? I have no, I have no knowledge about Afghanistan. I just think it's, uh, you know, Afghanistan is such a country that has been through war after war after war nonstop for, what is it, for the past forty or fifty years? Yeah, it's been completely even terraformed. Like there's no trees in Kabul because the Russians took over, cut them all down. Uh, people, you know, it was a pretty liberal country uh, up until that point. And I think just, I think there's a lot of raw beauty left there. Like, it hasn't been changed or touched for such a long time. So I think yeah. maybe Afghanistan, but I'll probably never be able to go because I'm Israeli. Yeah. 
That is a really hard question. Um, yeah. Dude, for me, it's probably... Like, see, I'm really interested in these really off-the-beaten places. Um, so, honestly, right now, it's it's Mongolia, but I'm in... Uh, I was Like I was telling you, um, I'm in the planning phases of actually going there, so... I, I cannot wait, but um, what really interests me is these, like, just off-the-beaten places where just, like, no one is. It's just all, like, yeah, I mean, it's it's all just the exact same way it's been for thousands and thousands of years. And There's not a lot of places on Earth that are still like that, and uh, Mongolia is definitely one of those, where it's like these people have been living the exact same way for thousands and thousands of years, and it's just really cool that we have an opportunity right now to... to Go visit them and, and, and witness that. Um, another place, dude, I don't know if you've thought about this, but personally, I would love to go to North Korea. Dude, I, yeah. I would love it. Yeah, that's probably going to happen. Hopefully. In the next, I don't know. A few years, once things, uh, tensions are a little bit less, but uh, I would love to see it. Um, it's It's just so unique and like, it's really screwed up what's going on there. Like it's 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 horrible, and it's like been the same way for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Um, where just like how the governments, um, how the government treats its people. So that would be really interesting. I think it's gonna happen. Not probably not in the next thirty, forty years, but you know, like eventually they're gonna open up their borders. You can, dude. No, you can go. Yeah, I mean, because then you just see villages of people eating their dead, and a lot of other. Is that a thing? Uh, yeah, it is. There's cannibalism in North Korea. I mean, I don't doubt it, but that's gnarly. Because there's no food. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Yeah. very true, dude. In uh, in Myanmar, it's kind of a similar situation where it's like they're not necessarily starving, but they kind of have a crazy government where they. The people are kind of neglected. And, dude, they'll shoot anything. Anything with meat, they'll shoot it. Like, I was there... I was in northern Myanmar, and we were on this, like, jungle trek. And I was talking to... I was talking to the guide, and he was like, Yeah, man, we don't uh, get meat very often, so whenever we see it, we just shoot it. And he was telling me, like, like uh, a few years ago, in the village they lived in, a tiger came into the village. And they just shot it, and they skinned it and ate it. A tiger and like that, that like shocked me I was like what that is the craziest thing I've ever heard and then like halfway through the trek <laughs> we were going and um, so our guide was there and then two porters and I saw this big-ass squirrel it was like uh, he called it like a civil cat or something but it was like basically a cat-sized squirrel and the guy just whips out a gun <laughs> shoots it out of the tree lands on the ground and the guy's like Yo, we're eating good tonight. And we ate squirrel that night. And he was just so hyped because he got to eat meat. So it's like, it's it's crazy in parts of the world. Uh, that's just how they live. <laughs> yeah, dude. And the, all the other people in my group were like, they didn't see the squirrel at first. So they just heard a gunshot. And then all of a sudden, like two seconds later, this giant squirrel just slams on the ground. Everyone's like, what is going on? When I was in uh, the Philippines, right, uh, we did like we did this. Uh, we sailed on a boat for five days, and then one yeah. day we get on this village, 
and the cook of the boat comes like walks back to the to the boat with a pig and it brings a, a pig to the boat about like you know big size kind of pig yeah like, like a a, a, a boar or like, like a sailing and the pig hangs out on the boat so that was weird wait it was alive it jumps out. what the the pig was alive yeah it was alive and then he comes out and he goes like anyone wants to kill the pig <laughs> and uh I... sorry about that oh, yeah. um, and um you know Nobody really wanted to do it. There was like one volunteer. And so we go to the back of the boat and they hand him a knife and all the crew members hold down the peg and they go like, all right, you have to insert the knife right here all the way in because if you're not going to do that, you're going to miss the heart and the pig's going to suffer. Wow. So I took my camera. I said like, I, no way I'm going to kill the pig, but... Definitely, I'm gonna film it. I took my camera, and I um, I went there, and the guy he chickened out right at the last minute, and another crew member took the knife and killed the pig, and that was the first time I saw an animal like being slaughtered for food. Wow, dude! So and I think that's I, actually. Go ahead. I have insane footage, insane footage that I've never released because it's like just too graphic to yeah. the point it's almost artistic of like the pig is being held down and the knife like just goes in and out and like mount, like how do you say like a waterfall of blood just gushes out Jeez. and I have it in, like even in slow motion. Oh my gosh. <laughs> And that, that was something, like, that was something to see. Like, it, Dude, you but know. that's the thing, like, uh, like people nowadays are so disconnected from where their food comes. Like, they'll have no problem going to a barbecue place and ordering, like, like three pounds of spare ribs. But if they sat in a room, I saw a film recently where it's like, uh, the concept of the film was, like, this guy ordered ribs. And the people were like, great choice, come with me. And they led him back to a room. And he, they gave him a knife, and there was just him and a pig in the room. And there was this super cute pig, and he couldn't do it. Like, he couldn't kill this pig. So the people rushed in the room. They're like, oh, he can't do it. And they just do it for him. And the, the next scene in the film, he's sitting there with this spare rib on his plate, and he just can't eat it. And he's just, like, totally sick. So it's like we're so disconnected from where our food comes from. Like when I was in, uh, when I was in Thailand, they have these restaurants that you can kill a chicken and then eat it. And it's, it's like one of those things, like I really like think that's important for people to, uh, to kind of know where their meat comes from. Cause people eat meat all the time, but they, they have no idea where it comes from. They don't think of an animal. They just think of it as meat. And so it's like, it's, it's a kind of a wake up call. Um, I think more people should experience that. Well, there's a lot of questions from D. <laughs> there's wait, there's more questions. Just like twenty-five. Um, I didn't. I don't see enough. Some wait. Someone writes something. I can I think like I think the keyboard is stuck. Uh, well, anyway, so um, 
Do you want to do like another 10 minutes and then call it? Yeah, um, let's, let's finish questions. Let's so like you, do a lot of answers. Back yeah, back. yeah. So if you guys have any questions real quick, um, add them in below and we'll answer them. Um, so what's a good resource for music SFX? Um, there's a lot of different options. A lot of times, like what I end up doing in my videos is I just, like if I have a glacier crashing, I just Google search glacier crashing and then download the YouTube. Um, there's a there's a thing that you can f convert YouTube sounds into MP3s. I think it's called YouTube to MP3. Um, and I do a bunch of that. Uh, there's also uh, there's also a thing called Splice that's really cool. It's like a program that you get and you can search for any SFX and download it straight from the app. Um, it's what called app? Splice. I'll write it down. Splice. So you can't see any of the questions? I can't see nothing. I don't even see who's online. It's just like... <laughs> um, so Mika asks, what's your biggest dream? Uh, personally, for me, um, I guess... Oh, that's a hard question. Um, right now, I guess, like, I don't know about dream, but my goal in, like, three to five years is to be doing documentary films, like, hour-long films that uh, really are able to make an impact in the world um that's kind of short of it for me currently um create my first short movie i'm writing a script for a short film and the dream is to film like create this film finish the script create this film and send it to Sanda uh to Cannes festival yeah and the script, is it the script that you told us about? Yes. It's amazing. Yeah. I, I can't so, wait to see it come to life. By 2021, I want to be finished with the film. Make it happen. It will. Also, okay, if you need a drone question. operator, dude, I'm here. I've only crashed seven. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so D, D Loves Art asked... Um, are pigs kosher? Did you take photos of the dead animal? Dan, nice mustache. I have a question. Can you answer it? I'm a big fan. Do you like ribs? How connected are you to the ribs? Would you kill chicken? Can you answer my questions? Can you give me a shout out? I want a shout Wait, out. Wait, was that Donna? Yeah. So if you want to just go through and answer every single one of those real quick. Um. We don't need to answer Donna, Donna's questions. Um. <laughs> Uh, another question question is what should be one's attitude towards music uh, <laughs> which type of music um, I think you mean um, like which type of music goes with which video um, like slower music goes with videos where there's like slower clips like not as many cuts kind of more spaced out whereas you want fast music when you're, there's a lot of action going on uh, and stuff but um, other than that, um, there's no more questions. Is there any last things that you want to chat about, Dan? 
Hummus? Um, hummus? Uh, you want to talk about hummus? Hummus. <laughs> Dude, I haven't had hummus in about a month. Yeah, I freaking miss Israeli hummus. I think like I think you become less and less Israeli the longer you don't have hummus. Like <laughs> your English accent becomes better. You become more polite. <laughs> you and then you slowly become American. Like, back. <laughs> um, if I wanna mention say something beforehand, I don't have a lot. I just uh, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen my films, go and watch my films. Yeah, go watch his films. Um, uh, if you haven't seen Danny's films, go and watch Danny's films. And um, if you want to become a photographer or videographer, just do it. Like, just yeah. film and just photograph. And the rest would follow as long as you're persistent. Yep. Um, and self-aware. Yeah, dude, we uh, we we're almost at like two hours now. We covered a lot. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, one more question. So Mario, what's up, Mario? Uh, we, me, Dan, uh, our friend Eden, um, we all went to camp in the desert um, back in November, I think, or December. But uh, yeah, so Mario asked, uh, how would you cover the lack of equipment? I'm currently planning a short film, but upgrading the equipment by the end of the summer. Should I go for it at the moment or give it some time? Um, it depends on what equipment you have. We went over this earlier in the podcast. Um, equipment doesn't matter that much. Um, I think the camera that you have should be good enough. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. If, if you have sound, then get a cheap sound microphone. As long as you can, like, figure out what you need and get the minimum and do your best. Yeah, it's um, more about story. It's all about the story. It's really exactly. all about the story. Uh, Joseph, yes, we should. Uh, cool, dude. Well, other than that, man, we, we covered a bunch. Um, it's good to talk to you. I'm glad you're finally kind of getting settled in uh, in New York. Um, hopefully you get an apartment soon, uh, and then I can come visit you and sleep on your couch and eat all your food. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for that. But if not, I mean, I'll see you in uh, Birkenhead. Yeah, dude. Sounds good. Um, sweet. If anyone wants to listen to the full podcast um, and you missed part of it, I'm going to be uploading it on my Anchor channel. I'll be posting it on my story and everything, and um, it'll be on. I'll give it to Dan to post as well. So if you missed anything, you can come back and listen there. But yeah, Dan, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on, dude. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll uh, see you on the next one.